Welcome to the Lanier Hills Church Sermon Podcast, where faith meets life. I'm Pastor Randall Popham, inviting you to explore wisdom from the Word with us. For more information, visit us online at lanierhills.com. So I'm, I'm in the back room right here, you know, waiting for my time, I guess. And y'all, that was legit. That was legit. Um, and a little bit of, I guess, like a proud dad moment, you know, to the girls. They were in youth ministry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the credit for that. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yes, yes. They, wasn't that, that was awesome. They did a fantastic job. Fantastic job. And uh, I want to say that because I don't think it's really just in the production of it. Like, I think there was a real want and ushering in of the Spirit of God. And I, I don't feel worthy of being in this place right now. So uh, with that said, I think I have to do it anyway. Otherwise, they're going to fire me. Um, so turn your Bibles to John chapter 12. We're going to continue in this series, Come and See. John chapter 12 will be in verses 12 through 19. John chapter 12, Come and See. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Dan. I'm the youth pastor here, if I didn't already make that clear. Uh, excited to be with you. Thankful for the opportunity. I, uh, I typically do this thing when I go to prepare. I, when I know that I'm scheduled, I begin to pray. And the prayer is always very simple. Like, God, what do you want me to say? I do it with youth ministry. I do it in the opportunities that I have to speak to the football team. God, tell me what you want me to say. And I believe he steered me in a direction, and I wrote it. I, I, I write manuscripts. I know that's probably too much information, but I write manuscripts just in case I forget where I'm going. And it was done, and I usually have this feeling of, like, peace, like, this is it, which I was met with a little bit of that. But I was also left with a little bit of, I guess, uneasiness, like, uncertainty, and then in the first service, Cheyenne says what she says, what she also said in this service as well. And it was almost like God had said to me, I know what I'm doing. Just, just stay with me. So I believe with that said, I believe God has something that he wants to say. And it's my goal for you this morning. Very simply, well, I'm going I'm to try to teach you some things. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do it three points. I'm going to be uber Baptist today, right? Uh, Southern Baptist three-point sermon. They're not going to rhyme. They're, I'm not going to do the whole alliteration thing. I'm not that Baptist, but I am going to give you three points. And I'm going to ask you what I believe is a really hard question at the end. And then we're going to dismiss. For chapter, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. What I want to do is I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the scripture. And then I want to begin to walk back through it verse by verse. So if you would pray with me as we dive into this. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your holiness, for your goodness, for your righteousness. And God, again, I come to you and I say, who are we? Who am I to stand before this crowd of people and proclaim your gospel? Who are we to usher out of our mouth the name of Jesus? You are holy, God, and we are not. But by the blood of your son, you make us holy and you call us holy and you've adopted us in your family. God, I pray God, I pray that today we look at your word with reverence and with awe and with holy fear and that we are changed by it. May we hear the gospel inside of these few short verses. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, before I read the scripture, I want to ask you a question. A question 
Very similar to what I'm going to ask you in the end. Why are you here? Why are you here? Are you here with expectation? Uh, Expecting God to meet a need, meet a prayer request? Are are you here hoping and desiring that he's going to meet you in some form or fashion? Are you here because it's what you do? You go to church on Sunday, you know, you, your Nana taught you when you were a kid, you, you go to church on Sunday, it, it's what you do. Are you here because it's checklist Christianity? Because again, it's just, it's just the thing that you're supposed to do as a Christian. Why are you here? Are you here because you're a Georgia fan and you, you prayed to God last night? Don't let us lose to tech. I mean, I'd be, I'd be lying if I said I haven't done it. I'm a Tennessee fan. I'll admit it. I'm like, ah. Oh. I'll do whatever. Send me to Africa. Don't let me lose to Vanderbilt, right? Why are you here? Why are you here? This is the question that I want you thinking about as we navigate through this text. So what has happened previously, uh, last week, Mary Magdalene uh, has poured out her heart to Jesus. She has, she has broken and poured really costly perfume over Jesus, and she has used her hair to wipe his feet uh, with this perfume, which is crazy because I, I dove into this, and what I found is during the first century, a lot of money was spent on funerals, and a large part of the money was spent on really expensive perfume to kind of override the smell of decay or maybe cover the smell of the decaying body, which is neat because what you're going to see from last week to this week is these budding of stories, how they run in together. It all leads and it begins to really start to steer in and point to, to his death. And it's, it's just fascinating. It's, uh, it's almost as if today what you're going to see, Jesus is being ushered into his death. He's, he's coming in. You're going you're to recognize this story more than likely. Coming in on a donkey being ushered in to his, de- to his death. So let's read it together, and then we'll go back through it. Verse 12 in, in chapter 12 says this. The next day, so the day after of the stuff with Mary, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and he rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus had entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising from the dead, or raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees, they said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. So this section is known as the triumphal entry. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and a week later, he's going to be crucified. And what this is a day that many of you know as Palm Sunday. 
Uh, and it's one of the few events that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in this event, Jesus is presenting himself officially to the nation of Israel, basically to the world, as Messiah and as the Son of God. And you're looking at this going, Palm Sunday, Dan, it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Christmas is coming. We're, we're supposed to be like talking about his birth as a baby and his, in our, his incarnation into flesh and him putting on flesh and coming from heaven to earth and being born as a baby. Well, let me, let me just answer that very quickly. He came to die. Jesus came into this world, put on flesh, came as a baby, lived a sinless life to die. If, if, you, if you have the story go, he comes as a baby, he's sinless, he fulfills all the prophecies, but he doesn't die a sinner's death. It's all in vain. He comes to die. Verse 12. So let's go back through it. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. And they shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to King of Israel. So here's what you need to know. A really large crowd, what we believe is thousands of people, gets wind that Jesus is coming from Bethany to Jerusalem. And we have reason to believe that a lot of them came from, from Galilee and they set up basically a camp waiting for him to, to show up, making his way into Jerusalem. Now, this is fascinating to me. Uh, maybe you have thought about this before, but this is so mind-boggling to me to think about how fast word got out that he is on his way. There's no social media, there's no email, there's no push notifications, there, there's, no, there's no walkie-talkies, there's, there's, there's none of this stuff. And as I started thinking about it, you know, the, I, I read this, I'm like, man, like word got out so fast. You know where my head went? Matthew Perry. And how quickly word got out of his passing. Uh, if you don't know who Matthew Perry is, he was the guy who played Chandler in the, in the TV show Friends. Every, every, almost every one of us went from casually scrolling on social media that day to discovering of Matthew Perry's passing. People knew within minutes of his death. I don't know if you know the story, but the authorities show up and we believe it's two to three minutes later, the rest of the world knows of Matthew Perry's passing. It's on social media, it's on Instagram, it's on Facebook, it's on TikTok, it's on mainstream radio, it's in, it's in the media, word gets out fast. So I started thinking about this even more. <clears throat> I grew up in a really interesting time. I feel, I feel like I had a really, uh, I was placed in a really monumental place of time. So I grew up w uh, without a cell phone. I didn't get my first cell phone until I was 14 years old when I was a freshman in high school. And it was like the Nokia brick phone. You know what I'm talking about? The thing that weighed like eight pounds. And if you got into a fight, you just grabbed your phone and bam, like they're donezos. Okay. That thing was, that thing could, could survive like the, like an 80 foot fall, right? So uh, I got that at 14, um, and I started thinking about even farther back. So when I was a kid, we did, cell phones did exist, but it was the one that was kind of attached to the briefcase sort of deal. And those were for the, for the people who had money, and uh, we didn't have money. I thought it was so cool the day we got a caller ID. Like, I know when the spammers are calling now. I can mess with them. Like, I used to, this is beside the point, what, like, J.C. Penney would call a lot to try to, like, sales market, and I would answer as J.C. Penney. 
No, okay, whatever. So I started thinking about when I was a kid, landline phone, and there's something about when the landline phone would ring, you just get hit overwhelmed with anxiety because the ring is so loud and obnoxious and it comes out of nowhere. Like they couldn't have figured out something a little more subtle. It like shakes your wall when the thing rang. And I remember being a kid, my mind went back to being a kid. I'm sitting on the couch, you know, and the landline phone rings. You're like, oh gosh, answer that thing. It rings like 17 times before it finally stops, right? So my mom answers the phone and she goes, Dan, it's for you. What does everybody do in that moment? Gosh, now I have to get up. I have to get up and go stand by the wall and talk on the phone. Then, you know, you, so you go, to, you go to the wall and you, you answer, oh, hey, Tyler, you know, what, what's going on, man? What's up? Oh, they broke up. Oh, wow. Man, they were together forever, like two days. Yeah. Oh, at recess. Okay. All right. Um, oh, that's why you're calling. You want him back on the team. Bro, he ditched us for a girl. All right. I don't, I don't know about this. Dan, I need the phone. Hey, mom's, mom says she needs the phone. Got to go. That's just like the story of my childhood right there. That is the story of my childhood. But think about how the news would travel. Like even, in, even during that time, the late 90s, you know, you still had a landline phone where you could communicate things. You still had, you know, News Channel 3 and, 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 and all that stuff. This, these things didn't exist at the time of Jesus. No Twitter, no phone, no notification of any sort. And then my mind went here. Just bear with me. Today's world, we have this thing called Life 360. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody on Life 360? You, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. So if you don't know what Life 360 is, it is it's basically like a tracker app for your phone. Every basically every married couple has it. Like, where is he going? What's he doing now? Oh, he went to Chick-fil-A without me, right? It's it, even the free version, you can see the route of where people have been. It's it's like a tad creepy. My wife has it set up. Is she in the room? Crack. Okay. Um my wife has it set up to where when I arrive at church or leave church, she gets a notification on her phone, both audio and visual. There's an there's a audio tone and there's a visual notification that pops up. Same, th- same thing for when I arrive or leave the house. Bing! Dan has arrived at home. I started thinking, like, Jesus didn't have this. It's like, bing! Oh, the tree-hugging hippie has left Bethany. Like, they didn't have this. There, there was none of this. It's all word of mouth. That's it. But thousands of people have gotten wind of this, or what we believe is thousands of people. Imagine hundreds, if that helps you, you know, put it into perspective. Hundreds of thousands of people at this place, and none of that stuff existed. But they found out. They found out. And what's crazy is he was just in Bethany, which is not very far. But maybe they're thinking, well, he's going to be coming this way because Passover is going to be here. So, so maybe, maybe, maybe that's it. But beside the point, either way. Either way, no matter how they found out, tons of them, the problem with their presence is their motive for being there. They've got it all messed up. They've got it so wrong, so backwards, and so upside down. It says that they took palm branches and went down the road to meet him, and they are singing and shouting their praises. What I want to do is begin to show you the error in their motive. All right, so palm branches. What I discovered here is that in ancient times, palm branches were uh, symbolism of goodness, of, of wellness, of well-being, of prosperity, of victory, things like that. And they would often portray or etch palm branches onto coins or inside of important build- buildings. King Solomon, when he built his building, 
or built the temple, sorry. Uh, he etched palm branches. He carved them into the walls and on the doors of the temple. It says this in 1 Kings, on the walls all around the temple, in both the inner and outer rooms, he carved cherubim, angel, palm trees, and open flowers. So there's symbolism behind the palm tree. In Psalm 92, the author writes, the godly or the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. So again, goodness, well-being, victory, a lot of symbolism behind the palm tree. When you get to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 7, it says this, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed with white robes, and they held palm branches in their hands. So here you are, you got, these, you got these people, tons of them, spreading their cloaks, spreading their palm branches on the road before him. And Luke tells us in his account, because again, all four gospels record this event. Luke tells us that the disciples begin, the disciples begin to praise God uh, for the things that they had seen him do, the miracles that he had seen them do. And so then the crowd begins shouting, Hosanna, just like the song that we sang earlier, Hosanna. And what I found out about this, this is really neat. Hosanna, it means blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But that's not why it was used. It was used as a slogan for your ultra, ultra, that's not a word, ultra nationalistic zealots. That it's a term that they would shout. Your zealots at this time were the ones who were ready to overthrow Rome. That's why they were shouting it. Hosanna, blessed, him who, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yes, a messianic term. So you can look at it, you can say, so they're basically shouting us, if you're putting it into English, they're basically shouting, please save us. Give us freedom. So the palm branches, back to this for a second. Once, uh, they were once a symbol that had been placed on Jewish coin when the Jews were a free nation. Therefore, the palm branches were not a symbol of peace and love as you and I often in, interpret it to be or assume it to be. They were a symbol of Jewish nationalism, an expression of the people's desire for political freedom. So they weren't praising him because he's coming in and he's getting ready to die on a cross. Yes, yes, save us. Secure our eternity, Jesus. They're praising him because they are expecting him there is an expectation to save us from Rome. They're not interested in sin salvation. Why? They don't think they need it. They have no desire for it. They want to be set free from Rome. Their shouts are actually from Psalm chapter 118. But because of their misunderstanding on who the Messiah was and what the Messiah was going to do, they might as well have been saying, save us from Rome. Give us freedom from Rome. We praise you for what you were about to do to Rome. Slay the beast. Do away with Rome. God, we serve you for what you were about to do to Rome. We are going to be a national power yet again. Here he comes. Behold the king of the Jews who sets us free from Rome. Man, they got it all sorts of messed up. Verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and he rode on it. Fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's 
cult. Now, Mark actually tells us how he got a hold of the donkey, but I don't want to pay attention to that. I want to focus on the fulfilling of the prophecy, which comes out of Zechariah 9. It says this. This is so cool. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and he is victorious. Yet, he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Man, they missed it. Here's first of the three things that I would encourage you to write down. Jesus' triumphal entry, it reveals him as Messiah, which they thought, but it also reveals him as humble king. Reveals him as Messiah and as humble king. They got it right, the Messiah part but they missed the humble king part. So if you continue reading um, in in verse 10, it's going to give us more, but it it says that he comes in victory. He comes in triumph, right? And humility. The donkey, there's more symbolism here. The donkey, I feel like I can't say donkey without sounding like a hick. I'm sorry, y'all. The donkey was a humble animal, all right? He was a, it was a humble animal. And the fact that he's riding on on a donkey symbolizes that he's coming in peace. That he's coming in peace. Not that he's about to lead a rebellion to overthrow Rome. Now think about this. Consider nations of the past. Consider nations before the time of Jesus. Consider Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. Consider Persia and King Cyrus. As they were expanding their kingdom, their interest was in expanding their kingdom geographically, making it as big as they possibly can. And when they would do this, they would come riding on horses with their sword held high in their air and with their, with their battle chariots, killing anything and everything that stood in their way, men, women, and children. They did not care. It was either submit or be killed, become a slave or die. And now Jesus comes in, right, on his donkey with the intention of expanding his kingdom. But he doesn't do it by war. Look at this. This is what the prophecy says. Zechariah 9, verse 10. He says, I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the people who stand in my way. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle. And your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm, it'll stretch from sea to sea. From the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. This is where it gets goosebump right here. Because of the covenant that I made with you, sealed with blood, I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. So let me, let me give you the Dan Tucker version of this. Peace is the goal. Peace is the goal. Prisoners are being set free. It's not done by war. It's done by a humble king who will seal it with his blood. Here's the second thing that I want you to get. Jesus' triumphal entry, it reveals him as Messiah, a savior from sin. It reveals him as Messiah, a savior from sin. And man, did they miss it? They missed it. And I'm asking you today, 
Don't miss it. Look at what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15. Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus, he came in the world to make America the greatest power. He came in the world to, to um, give you your political dreams, to put who you want into office. He came to save sinners. And then Paul goes on to say, of whom I am the worst. I think Paul in the end got it, right? Here we go, verse 16. His disciples, they didn't understand. At the time, this was a, they didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy, you think? But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. So it wasn't until after Jesus' ascension and the Spirit comes down do they go, oh, so the disciples in this moment they do not understand all right verse 17 many in the crowd had seen jesus call lazarus from the tomb raising him from the dead and they were telling others about it that was the reason so many went out to meet him told you there was a problem in their motive because they had heard about this miraculous sign so i don't know if you've heard but this Jesus, he called a dead man out of the grave. What do you think he can do to Rome? This, this Jesus that, that, that's, that everybody's talking about, he put breath back in the lungs of a dead man. What do you think he can do to Rome? Let's read on. Verse 19. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look. Everyone has gone after him. So here's the deal with the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. They wanted him dead. They wanted him dead. But they didn't want to kill him during the time of Passover because they are afraid of the multitudes who Jesus is popular with. They're, they're afraid of a different kind of riot, a different kind of, you know, uh, rebellion, right? But Jesus doesn't care. Jesus comes in on his donkey into the city on his own time, and this event sets his death in motion, right? It begins, it begins the whole thing in order that he might die on the day before Passover, the day in which the lambs were usually prepared for sacrifice. There's one more piece of symbolism that I want to give you, and church, I'm telling you, when I... When I when I came across this, it was everything I had to pick my heart up off the floor. This gets me. So there's this Jewish historian. His name is Josephus. He discovers that one year around the time of Jesus, a census was taken on the lambs that were slain for Passover. Like So basically the number of lambs that came in for an annual time to be slain for the Passover meal. The census records over 256,000 lambs. So at the time of Passover, the streets of Jerusalem is just littered with lamb blood. So imagine this, with a number that large of lambs, 
coming in waves to Jerusalem. And, and keep in mind, people would come near and far bringing their own sacrifices. They would travel miles and miles to come to Jerusalem for Passover. So for days and from sunrise to sunset, lambs are just coming into the city. So when Jesus is coming into the city on his donkey, he's surrounded by lamb. And it's almost as if the father is saying in this picture, you have brought your lambs. So have I. Here's my lamb the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Here's my lamb, the perfect sacrifice for sin. It's as, it's, it's as if the father is screaming, will you choose him? So the last thing that I want to say to you is, is this, Jesus' triumphal entry, it reveals him as Messiah and as the perfect lamb of God. The perfect lamb of God. But I told you, the problem is their motive. The crowd is, is all messed up. They, they, they get it right that he's the Messiah. They get it right. They get that part right, but they get it wrong on who the Messiah is. They think that the Messiah is a politi political, military deliverer. They're expecting an Old Testament judge. They're expecting an Old Testament King David to rise up and, and hold sword and go, to, and go to war and vindicate for Israel against Rome. Put us back on the map. Make us a nation again. And Jesus comes in on the donkey and he says, I'm not interested. However, what I am interested in is your sin problem. Because way before Rome existed, way before Persia, way before Babylon, way before King David, before Noah and before Abraham, at the time of creation, man was in perfect harmony with God. And man messed it up. And for all those thousands of years, the world was anticipating a Messiah to come and to restore the relationship between God and man. To restore the relationship between God and man. Not that the Messiah would come and meet your expectation. So, Paul says this, Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. So I leave you with this. Why are you here? Are you here because this is just what you do? Christianity is in your social media bio. You've created a, a perception on yourself and you got, you got to maintain that perspective. Man, I told you, go to church. Are you here with expectation? God, I have heard, Jesus, I have heard that you do miracles. Will you, will you heal my mom from cancer? God, I heard that you own a cattle on a thousand hills. Will you, will you save me from this financial debt? 
God, I expect you to do this. I believe. God, I've heard that you have no end to your resources. Will you, will you give me that promotion? You know, better yet, God, I expect you to. I have the faith. I expect you to. I expect you to do this, God. The faith is in me. I, I, I believe. Do you have Jesus on trial? Jesus, I heard you can do these things. Now I expect it. Now I expect it. Why are you here? Are you here because you want? Because you're expecting? Maybe you have more of a pure motive. You want to learn. You want to be taught something. You want your soul to be fed. Or are you here? Because worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the king who conquered the grave. And that's it. God, you might, you might heal. But even if you don't, God, you're worthy. God, you might get me out of this terrible job and you might get me into a new one. But even if you don't, God, you're worthy. God, you might do this, you might not. And even if you don't, God, you're worthy. You are worthy of praise. Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. This story is the ushering in to his death. Do not forget that, church. Do not forget it. We gather together. We worship. We lift hands. We sing because he's worthy. Whether or not he meets your expectation. Whether or not he meets my expectation. So I want to end with this. It's as if God is saying in this picture with the triumphal entry, with the Son of God, with the Messiah on a donkey, surrounded by a lamb. It's as if Jesus or God the Father is saying, come and see. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Again, I say, who are we? As the scriptures say that you are mindful of us. Who are we that you would allow us to sing? Who are we that you would allow us to be in your presence? Who are we that you would allow us to be the host of the Holy Spirit? We are not worthy. God, we we come so many times with prayers of expectation. God, I need you to do this. God, you you have to do that. God, terrible things are going to happen if you don't move. This is going to happen if you don't do anything. God, I expect you. God, I God, forgive us for that language. May more consistent words like, Father, we worship you for who you are. Even if you never provide anything ever again, if you, if you never meet a need ever again, if you, if you never fulfill a desire, if you, if you never heal, you're still worthy. You are still holy. And God, I think about how you could have torn open the skies with your hands and you could have come down on your white horse with a sword in hand, pointing down to us and saying, everybody on your knees. You could have done that, but you don't, you don't, you don't come that way. You come uh, as a baby and, and, and you live a perfect life and then you usher yourself into your own death on a donkey, an animal of humility. 
God, forgive us for making it about us. I pray with fear and with reverence and with awe, we would worship you in this next song with such things. We give you our life in response to your holiness. It's in Jesus' name I pray.